What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to this week's episode of Armchair Producers, episode 167. I am one of your hosts, George Tarrant, alongside the man, the myth, the jingle to my bells, Mr. Travis Croft. How are you, sir? All I have to say about that is, <laughs> is I am jingling all the way. As you can see, I am and exceedingly sorry, festive. You do need to just lift up a little bit so that we can see the festive t-shirt. Festive. Look at that. T-shirt, it says, that. Merry Christmas, um, Which I think we've all wanted. If anyone's visited the shopping center recently... That's something we've wanted to say quite regularly. As the man opposite me works in a shopping center, I'm sure he uh, feels like saying it to a, a random assortment of people on any. Given Not a day. random assortment. It is a blanket. Everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Who has been the most annoying Christmas customer you've dealt with so far this season? Uh, ooh. So I have had multiple people coming in. So like, yeah. Um. I've been told to buy a video game for my nephew. Okay. What should I get him? Um, how old are they? What do they like? What console are they playing on? Oh, I don't know. Do you see how I might have a problem suggesting things to you if you, you don't give me any information? But that's your job. Like, yes, but... Do you want me to literally just pick a random game off the shelf and go, this one? No, that didn't help me. It's like, but there you, you, you see my problem then, right? No. Oh, okay. You know what TV shows they like? No, don't really talk to him. Nah. <laughs> I, I think uh, we all know the obvious solution that George is missing here, and I'm about to share it with you all. Mm-hmm. Well, now choose a club. You have chosen. <laughs> May I suggest a putter? Three wood. Now enter the force of your swing. I suggest feathered touch. You have a power drive. Now push seven, eight, seven to swing. Ball is in. Parking lot. Would you like to play again? You have selected no. Well. <laughs> there you go. It's the obvious solution to anyone. Lee Carver Living Challenge is the answer to all our questions. Life, the universe, and everything. Um, you know, you fair. could just sell him something random and go, this, this game, everyone loves this game. Well, I did have, uh, for, for Pokemon nerds out there, I did have someone who came in asking for a particular Pokemon plushie, um, uh, the Scorbunny, which is a, a, a fire-type bunny, essentially. And I couldn't find it straight away, but I could find a plushie of Ditto. And I just lifted it up and go, here you go. And <laughs> looked at me and said, that's not it. So I'm like, it could be. <laughs> <laughs> Did you try your old Jedi mind trick? This isn't the Pokemon is you're, the looking you're looking for. You're looking for. He can go about his business. <laughs> uh, we have a, uh, a loaded show. We're going to be talking, of course, about this week's chain movie, The Book of Henry, chosen yes. by the great man himself. I'm going to have a quick chat about a couple of the new uh, shows you can find on Disney Plus. 
which you would not expect to find on Disney Plus. Chippendales and Fleischman's in trouble. And I think you've got some video game news for us this week. Well, I've just got a little bit of a my final thoughts on God of War before I keep keep on just talking about it forever because it's probably going to take me forever to finish. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about the finale of season one for the peripheral. And then I have gone trying it again. I, I am, I am a, a, a willing person of um, being tortured. I'm trying another Disney plus show uh, Willow. And because it is the season to torture myself with Christmas music, 24-7 at work, including Alvin and the Chipmunks Christmas song. <clears throat> there, there's worse ones on there, trust me. I decided to experience Apple TV's Will Ferrell, Ryan Reynolds, musical Christmas movie, Spirited. So thoughts on that later? Uh, initially, <laughs> when we were talking off air, George told me he was going to talk about Spirited Away. And I thought to myself... There's something particularly Christmassy about this Miyazaki film. Um, no, he <laughs> meant spirit. Christmas? <laughs> uh, I have not seen it, so I wouldn't know. Shall we dive into the yeah. book of Henry and open the first chapter? Yes. So, so, why did you choose this film? What did you? What was your logic here? Because it's kind of an obscure one. It's an. That's part of the reason why I chose it because it is a somewhat obscure one, and also because we have been very fortunate overall for the high quality of movies that we've been picking, in spite of never having actually watched any of these movies or only seen it, seen them once or something like that. Um, so I thought, you know what, I'm going to try a left field option, not rated high on IMDb or Metacritic. Um, and yet it's got some talent in the, in the, um, in the form of Naomi Watts, who is our connective tissue from Birdman, um, directed by Colin Trevorrow, who is now very much a blockbuster movie maker with, um, the Jurassic World movies behind him. Um, but he had his indie start, um, with, um, Safety Not Guaranteed. And so I thought, okay, you know what? Let's give this a try. He's been very average to serviceable for the Jurassic World franchise. Let's see what he does with a smaller, more intimate project. That was my thought process behind this. My expectation was that I was not going to like this movie, but I was willing to give it a try just in case. It was a hidden gem. Yeah. We found a few weeks ago when we talked about the... um... Uh, the Pawnbroker, which was a slightly yeah. older film, but that's not one that's commonly known, but it was very good. Mm. Um, so with instructions from her genius son's carefully crafted notebook, a single mm-hmm. mother sets out to rescue a young girl from the hands of her abusive stepfather, as you mm. know, written by Colin Trevorrow, Trevor, yeah, Trevorrow writer Greg Hurwitz, starring uh, the great the, uh, Naomi Watts, um, one of Australia's greatest exports. Uh, mm. Jaden Martell, who I think was in one of the It movies. Yep. Jacob Tremblay, Sarah Silverman, Dean Norris, uh, mm. best known for probably for Breaking Lee Bad. Um, Lee Pace, probably best known for um, Guardians of the Galaxy, but yep. also Halt and Catch Fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are not, uh, uh, yes, he's in The Hobbit, wasn't he? Um, yeah. 
uh, uh, Maddie Ziegler, best known for being uh, Sire's muse, having a very That's weird right. relationship with Sia. <laughs> um, uh, Bobby Moynihan, um, Geraldine Hughes uh, from uh, Rocky Balboa fame. Um, oh, yeah. Kind of, I, I thought I recognized her. She was in yeah. that, that Rocky movie that didn't have, uh, wasn't one of the uh, Creed movies. Yeah. Um, so an interesting little cast. Uh, and you're right, it doesn't have a great rating. It's got a 31 meta score, mm-hmm. 6.6 mm-hmm. on TV score. And may I just note that 6.6 is massively undeserved. This film is a stinking pile of shit. Oh, but come on, you did point out on Facebook notifications, it's got one of the best lines ever. To turn this movie straight into a comedy. I'm going to have to remember what it was now. I don't have to go back oh, and check. Oh, You're come right. on. It was, it was something, I can't remember the exact line, but is um, I'm not, we're not going to kill the poli- uh, police commissioner. We're not going to kill the local police commissioner or something. I, I said yeah. it again. I, it, uh, here's the problem with this film for me. I don't know what it is because I yeah. don't think it knows what it is. Correct. Um, uh, I think if you look in the INDB trivia, it talks about how it started out as the script started being kicking around for 10 years before it was made. Here we mm-hmm. are, movie quote of the year. We are not killing the police commissioner, and that is final. Yep. Um, uh, so it started out life, uh, the script started out life as a black comedy. It came into the hands of Colin Trevorrow, who was interested in making it, but he didn't want to make a black comedy. He made whatever this is instead. Um, yeah. But it's still the script. He, maybe he forgot to take out the parts of the script that were black comedy because it's kind of parts yeah. of you like, is this supposed to be funny? Yeah. Um, because if it is, uh, that's a bit weird uh, because it's not really being yeah. played like a comedy. And yeah. the rest of it's not playing like a comedy, but like, moments will play as comedy. That line, yeah. we are not killing the police commissioner and that's final, could be a really killer line. Um, but they didn't deliver it right. Exactly. Yeah, we've got the trailer playing just to to the side there as well. Um, it, but it's it's such a weird hodgepodge. It's like it's full of so many cliches, like the smart genius kid who doesn't quite fit in, but at the same time isn't particularly persecuted for his brilliance. Um, the fact that he is the adult in the the parent child relationship with Susan. Um, the fact that, uh, spoilers, I guess he dies from a brain hemorrhage. Well, that, yep, that's, that's ticking a lot of typical boxes, but at the same time, it then has, yeah, the Sarah Silverman's character we just saw there, who seems to be a friendly alcoholic friend of Naomi Watts' character. Um, it, 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 and the, the, the Rube Goldberg machine kind of illustrations that keep happening throughout the whole thing. It's like, what are you, what are you trying to be? Because it's not particularly a thriller, which the trailer tries to That's point as close to. as what, it's what you'll be expecting from a trailer. Yeah. Then again, even a trailer made it look schizophrenic. Yeah. Like, I mean, so we, as you know, we, it's you've you've nailed it. But it's full of cliches, full of tropes. Yeah. 
um you know the kid who's smarter than any adult in a film you know um mm. uh, but it, it starts out with you know we meet henry he's a really really smart kid and he realizes he's really smart and all the adults realize he's really smart but you know um he doesn't decide to go ahead and like advance him to go into a you know gifted school because reasons mm. um that, because the movie needs to happen um yeah but like we meet the, the police commissioner lives next door to him and his mother. He's friends with the daughter of a police commissioner, played by Maddie Ziegler. Maddie Ziegler, who in this film proves once and for all why she is a as a dancer, as an actor, she's a much better dancer. Um, mm-hmm. You know, she's a terrible actor, and she's got mm-hmm. nothing to say in this film, and she's terrible. Um, yep. Uh, as you know, like he sort of Henry starts to pick up on some vibes that something not quite right is going down. With um, his friend, uh, what's the character's actual name? Uh, Christina, next door, um, and he starts to keep his. He realizes he's going to die, I guess, at some point because he gets sick, and starts to keep yep. incredibly detailed plans and recordings of how his mother should handle the situation should he pass away. Uh, yep. And so it's some incredibly adult choices, you know, like. Like what kind of firearm to basically he outlines a plot for his mother to kill yep. the police commissioner next door who's abusing his daughter Christina uh, by going out and buying a sniper rifle and <laughs> shooting him. Yep. Uh, and you're like, and it's like, what the fuck? What the fuck? Like one minute it's like a kind of a charmingish childhood sort of. Comedy with sort of almost uh, sort of like uh, what's what's it kind of the... of explorers in parts, you know, like the uh, uh, the spaceship. It's almost like explorers meets uh, my girl or something like yeah. that. Yeah, but there's a charming. Then it's not. Then 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 Henry dies, and all of a sudden it's fucking long kiss goodnight, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a great non-Christmas Christmas film. We could be hearing more yeah. about them later on. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, it'd be, maybe it would have been more fun if Naomi Watts had woken up one morning and actually it'd been like, um, what was that? Uh, Nobody film, one where uh, uh, oh, uh, with Bob Odenkirk. Bob Odenkirk, who turns out he's actually an assassin, and yeah, yeah, you know, that would be fun. It could have been fun. I mean, that film was see that film kind of walked the line. It was kind of John Wick, but funnier. Yeah, um, you know they could have walked that line a little bit, but at moments you're like it was, it's like you look at how the fuck does this kid know what sniper rifle to buy? I mean, I know it's the United States. I mean, he I mean, listened to one conversation with a, a shady guy in the gun shop. That's all the information you need. Harry fortunate he was in the gun shop at the moment when that conversation took place. Reasons. It seems superfluous at the time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but he was there, you know, and like it's he just seems to have this in, look, I get kids can be like it's possible kids can be incredibly, you know, intelligent, mm-hmm. retain massive amounts of information at a at a young age. Like that's possible. Um, but this kid it seems to have a remarkable breadth of information related to, you know, c- commando style assassination missions. Now, look, I'm not gonna brag or anything. But I, 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 you know, I, I play. I have played Sniper Elite three and four and finished mm-hmm. them both. So that kind of makes me a bit of an expert in the field when it comes to sniping. You can talk professionally. That's okay. I can, that's professionally. I mean, yeah, it's. I'm kind of. I'm kind of up there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I you're mean, an American sniper. <laughs> I saw American Sniper at least once, 
been, you know, once and a half, like once half time on a plane, you know, the sound was off, but I think I got the gist of it. Um, <laughs> so I think that makes us snipers, frankly, as, yeah. we film, as far as this film's concerned. It's ridiculous that this kid knows all this shit about, about how to kill his neighbour. And the idea that his mother would go, well, this book written by my dying child mm-hmm. with an inoperable brain tumour mm-hmm. recommends killing my neighbour. Mm-hmm. See, now, the, here's where reasonable. I think it should have gone a different route than what it did. Because the first portion up until his death, so like, okay, you've got a basic basic theme and kind of genre playground that you're sticking to. That's okay. If they had just gone, okay, left field, Henry dies, and he in his, so like the, the the brain aneurysm or whatever it is, the hematoma or whatever they, they actually decide is the reason for him dying, he possesses his mum. And it's a little bit like all of me. The classic Steve Martin comedy movie where he gets possessed by another soul and he's she's literally having conversations with him and he's sometimes taking over her body and he wants to go through this and kill. And then it just goes full on black comedy. That would have that would have explained a lot of the conversation. So, so what you're sort of recommending is sort of Rambo meets soul. Yeah. Yeah, I'd watch that. Uh, <laughs> um that would be good i would i would enjoy that if you get trent reznor in to do the soundtrack again you know um that would would work out well i think i'm not sure pixar would be interested um that's the kind of hodgepodge thing this film look at the poster of this film i'm gonna share my screen here for a second i'm gonna bring up a poster of this film um just look at this poster. If you're on the show, if you're if you're watching the live stream today, or you're watching it later, um, podcast mm-hmm. listeners, you can just Google it. I guess Book of Henry's poster. What does this poster say to you? This, this film's about. Does this poster say the second half of the film is about uh, Naomi Watts trying to snipe her next door neighbor? No, no, it this, doesn't. This, you know what? This, this looks like the perfect modern day representation of an 80s kids pseudo fantasy movie he does that's exactly what it looks like 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 i said like is he sort of explorers or something Mm. like that um uh you know goonies-esque you know vibe to the poster like it's kind of quirky and fun you know um i mean he has a pg-13 rating i should note that this is not an overtly violent film, no. but I mean, I suggestive, might... um, suggestive topic, of course. Molestation yeah, of children that's a hard one to go by, and maybe they put that a little. They got the rating for thematic elements and brief, strong language. Um, mm-hmm. I love it the sex and nudity section, none. There is no sex and nudity shown in this film. Sometimes Sheila wears low-cut tops that expose her cleavage. She chides a man for staring. Um, profanity. The word fuck is featured, but used infrequently. Uh, I like the fact that it's like as violence per trailer. The man has a gun pointed at him. One might consider that an act of violence. Um, mm. And the fact that a 
small child suggested said act of violence and his mother thought good idea let's do that i mean you know other radical ideas like i don't know getting a camera <laughs> filming said abuse um you and know so, uh, there's even a moment where susan naomi what's a character it seems to be watching uh, the neighbor the, the kids and um, sitting there in the dark and then she suddenly re- reacts as if oh my god i've seen something heinous like fucking rear window just film it do it done take it to the newspaper stick it on fucking youtube yeah like i mean it's it's yeah i think the the fact that it kind of it's kind of a plot hole right we don't actually oh no there's no solution he's the police chief no one can possibly take him down he's too powerful um, you know, I will shoot him. That'll be a better solution. Like, um, and it just, it's so convenient to the point where, you know, he, he writes of his books, if, you know, explaining what he recommends his mother does about killing their neighbor and helping Christina escape him. Mm. Uh, what he also records a whole bunch of audio stuff for her iPod, I guess it is, if I recall correctly. Um, uh- it's just like a dictaphone, like a classic old school dictaphone. Doesn't she, doesn't, but doesn't she listen to it? I think she listens to it on her iPod or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. I Maybe can't remember. The, the time of this movie is kind of nebulous as well. It is. It's not. I, I, he records always. It's the world's first murder podcast, I guess. Um, <laughs> you know, um, listen along as we plan a killing. This week on My First Murder, we are going to uh, select our sniper rifle. And you're not going to believe which one we come down with. You're going to have to watch the whole episode. <laughs> Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, folks. Um, <laughs> Clickbait for a murder show. Um, but it, it's all like, in every step away, he's like, he just happens to say exactly the right thing mm. to, it, to react to what his mother is doing. Like, she shoots a target. Yay, well done, Mom. And, like, yeah, and, and little bits like she walks away from the, um, from the ATM. It's like, your other left, Mom. Okay, you, you're doing this to try and suggest that he is so smart and so good that he has already accounted for her every step all the way. But it doesn't really come across as that. It comes across as stupid. And so they should have done a possession because then they could have had a legitimate back and forth. But, it, but it, at the same time, the, the realisation, the final realisation, she's there. She's got the sniper rifle. And he's sort of like saying, okay, breathe, don't rela- uh, just relax, make sure you're doing this and take the shot. And then she has suddenly, after all of this that she's gone through, she suddenly remembers, I'm the adult. You're just a kid. It's like, wow, you really are a bad parent, aren't you? <laughs> you really <laughs> are. That's not the point. That point you had a moment about the ATM scene. That obviously to me says this is left over from the comedy. Yeah. Because if it had been played for laughs, that could have been funny. Yeah. You know, I think uh, a Zucker Brothers style comedy or something like that, you know? Yeah. If, if but. I mean, and you can, of course, do a deadpan comedy. Yes. Um, look at something like Spinal Tap. I mean, it's a, a mockumentary, so it's a different kind of film. But nobody in that, everyone in that film takes everything 100% seriously. Yeah. And that's what's funny. Yeah. Um, but this isn't doing that. 
No. Uh, so it's not doing a deadpan comedy. I mean, it's kind of hard to describe how you not, but it's obviously not. Um, yeah. So that scene doesn't make any sense because it's trying to play everything like it's a real – we're in the thriller section of a movie now. Yeah. So that scene doesn't make any sense. But if you're no. playing as a, as a dumbass, wacky comedy, you will pay that, right? You go, oh, it's kind of silly, but it's kind of funny. But hmm. this is, I think it's a perfect example where, where I think they've left the comedy in, but because they've taken the comedy out everywhere else, it doesn't work. Mm. Uh, and, and you're right, but um, her realization only at the last minute after spending a couple of thousand bucks on a sniper rifle um, and practicing with it for weeks and pointing it at her neighbor, who is a police person. And, you know, I don't know if you know this. It's not a commonly known fact. And, and maybe it's, it's a little bit topic too topical, but considering what's happened in Australia this week, but police, generally speaking, as a rule, don't like being shot. Wait, they don't? They don't. Uh, and, and yesterday's in bad taste considering two police people were killed in Queensland yesterday. But yeah. <laughs> it's it's quite aside from that. It's, it's, it's actually, <laughs> um, aside from that, putting the un, you know, uncomfortable truth of what's happening in the real world aside, um, it's it's a really weird moment. And yeah. he doesn't actually have to shoot him to get him taken down. Like, that people arrive to arrest him because the uh, principal makes a phone call. Now, if a principal makes a phone call, reports a police commissioner, that'll work. But if his yep. next-door neighbour says, hey, he's abusing his daughter, that ain't going to cut it, folks. Yeah. Um, so and, in the end, and, and the entire the, premise of a film is undercut. The, the, the other point of that element is the principal has been approached multiple times by Henry before his death about this activity that is um, happening in Christine's life. Susan goes and talks to her about it. Like twice, I think. But nope. The nail in the coffin for, yes, I'm going to do something to save this child, is the girls dancing. That's That's the straw that broke the camel's back. It's a song and dance number, but does it every time. Um, I believe before the next Congress starts in the United States, the January 6th commission is going to invite Maddie Ziegler in to do a dance for the Republican members of the commission just to convince them that they should, you know, uh, charge Trump and, you know, uh, think about them, every mistake they've made in their life. And I'm fairly certain it will be effective. This is a, if you haven't picked it up already, I didn't like this film. This was a really, Really, really hard watch. This was mm-hmm. a long hour, 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how this film got made. I don't know I, what that was. I can understand why this film got made. Because of the the subject matter, because um, Colin Trevorrow's, he's, uh, he's a, regardless of whether you like his stuff or not, he's a reliable box office uh, movie produ- creator. Um, when he's got the word Jurassic in the title. But then at the same time, there's also not really any bad performances in this movie. It's just the movie and the fact that it's an utter mess. And like it's, it feels like a first draft as someone who's written the script 
and it's gone, yeah, I want a little bit of comedy in there. I want a bit of bit of thriller. I don't know which one I'm going to settle on. I'll go back and decide which genre I want to really focus do on. Do it in the editing booth. Yeah, and then they kind of forgot that step. It kind of because reminds me, I remember was... years ago, I saw a TV show called Detroit 187 that was going to be a comedy. And then somebody at the studio decided, we don't want a police comedy, we want a police drama. So they went in and re-edited the whole thing in the pilot in editing and turned it into a drama. So it can be done. Mm. But maybe I guess forgot. Maybe Colin Trevello called in sick that day mm. uh, and the editor they got in just thought, oh, this will do. Yeah. It, it's just such a bizarre movie in its failings that I couldn't help but just go, oh, okay. Um, well, that happened and I'm glad that it's over. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um you, you, I agree with you. You are right. I don't think anyone's particularly terrible in this. Like, there's no. I mean, apart from Maddie Siegler, who is abysmal. Yes. She is a terrible actor. Yes. And I did stop and consider taking us to who to the movie she's played. Uh, the autistic no. kid in this uh, no. music. Uh, we're no. not going to watch music, uh, but I did consider it just to see if it's as bad as everybody says it is. But um, everybody else, I feel like it's the problem here is the the writing. And mm-hmm. the directing and the disconnect between the two, mm. yeah. Um, in the sense that the, the, the writer's done one thing, and the director's done something else. A bit like if you go back to Natural Born Killers, where you had a Tarantino script and yeah. all of a sudden direction, and they just don't fit too well together. I mean, that, that film's mm. much much better than this, yeah. But it's not as good as most Tarantino films or Oliver Stone films because those two elements just don't seem to fit quite right together. Yeah. Um, and these two just this significantly more do not work. Um, yeah. Hurwitz, um, Greg Hurwitz's script and Colin Travolta's direction seem to be at odds. This is a very odd film. Yeah. And not in a good way. No. But it has one saving grace. It is finished and we don't have to talk about it anymore. Where are <laughs> we going to next, sir? Now, this is an important announcement time. We mm. are going to break the chain. <gasps> one week only this chain's been going now for almost three years and george has them all written down um which you should post it you should post it on the facebook page so people can... <laughs> I, I will do I, um, I, will, I will work something out for this too um but we are breaking your chain permanently so yeah, rest assured, people. You know, uh, you know, you can put your your clocks back in the cupboard, American friends. Uh, <laughs> there's no need to revolt just yet. Uh, we're gonna be ret- we will be returning to the chain in the new year. Mm-hmm. We are, I think I think we haven't talked about this, but I don't think we're going to do a show in the week between Christmas and New Year's because, you know, he's busy and. Yeah. Um, you know, I uh, busy and we don't want to. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's a fair way of putting it. Um, but we have a special treat for you next week. A very special treat. The first ever Anchez Producers Christmas Spectacular. And it will be better than that piece of shit that, that uh, James and shout out for Disney Plus, I guarantee. Um, we're gonna do a Christmas special next week. There will be no chain movie. For next week's show, we will be streaming it live like we always do. It'll be able to download for all you podcast people, all the Russian mm-hmm. bots out there. Uh, we are going to focus on non-Christmas Christmas movies, though. So uh, I know it's become a thing in the most in the recent years is non-Christmas Christmas movies. Mm-hmm. And everyone's favorite non-Christmas Christmas movie, or the argument is, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? 
And the answer, of course, is yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you say differently, you're incorrect. Uh, but that would be a little bit obvious just to go, okay, we're going to do our favorite non-Christmas Christmas movies because it would be Die Hard because yes. it's awesome. And, yes. you, know, George, you know, George once literally asked Alan Rickman to do lines from the film with him. Um, and he said, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it might have been the peak of your life at some point. It, it, it was, that was, that was a good, good, like 18 months of my life right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but so we're going to do our, so a couple of our favorite non-Christmas Christmas movies. And mm-hmm. by saying favorite, I just mean two I've randomly selected because I thought they would sound good. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be talking about Eyes Wide Shut, which of mm-hmm. course famously, apparently, uh, it has a Christmas tree in every shot. Maybe. Mm. I never checked, but I heard that. Mm. Of course, okay. this is Stanley Kubrick's last movie starring Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. Famously mm-hmm. controversial. Um, uh, I haven't seen it for probably since it came out, I think. so. Yeah, I think um, so. I'm going to be interested to see how it holds up 20 plus years yeah. later. Um, and uh, so that's, I think, I, think, I mean, it's controversial, but I think people would agree that it's quality, a quality production. Stanley Kubrick, it's you know, it's uh, seven point five on IMDb and eight sixty eight Metascore. So of course, we are going to take it, uh, take the from the sublime to the ridiculous. And our second non Christmas Christmas movie is the nineteen eighty five Chuck Norris action spectacular Invasion USA. Which yes. means a, a a spy army invades at Christmas time, uh, which means it's a Christmas movie. People, a non Christmas Christmas mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so those will be. This has a five point four IMDb rating and a twenty nine meta score, uh, and of course, it's by the geniuses of the the, the mark of quality in eighties film canon films. Um, the the great minds behind such classics as Cyborg, uh, the Masters of the Universe, uh, and Superman Four. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> you know it's going to be good. So those will be our non Christmas Christmas films next week for our Christmas spectacular. Uh, it might be a slightly shorter show, but we'll it'll be our first ever. And if you like it, tell us, and well, maybe we'll do another one. We'll, we'll make it a running thing. Every public holiday, a, a movie based on that. <laughs> but that means we do have a chain film to talk about for the new year. Uh, and I have it set up and uh, ready to go. Our link will be, if I can just go back to, um, I can't remember the actor's name. It is Tanya Pinkins, who plays Principal. The Principal, who is actually the hero of the film because she dobs in uh, yep. the bad guy. Uh, she uh, is our link to our film, uh, our first chain movie for next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I'm now going to play the trailer for the people lucky enough to see our uh, uh, live stream. You'll be able to hear it, podcast people. So, Not got any audio. Ah. 
<laughs> this, I mean, this I'll movie is terrible. I will share it again, and uh, we'll select audio and see if this is better. Sorry, people, not getting any audio podcast people. We'll start again. There we go. Because it's quite glorious, this sound. <laughs> I, I'm imagining it, and I know that it's still not bad enough. Are you, I don't know if you're able to hear this, I but can't. this is a really bad 80s hip-hop. Yeah, this, this, uh, is, this is a film called Beat Street 1984. Beat Street from 1984. Beat Street. <laughs> so, How am I going to get out of this fucking um, beat? <laughs> Well, you said you wanted some stuff that wasn't quite as good. Um, <laughs> and I think it's pretty safe to say this film isn't very good. So... Beat Street made in 1984. An aspiring DJ from the South Bronx and his best friend, uh, a promoter, tried to get into show business by exposing people to hip-hop music and culture. Um, and uh, Ray Dawn Chong is our main star in this film. Um, so, yeah, it, I, she was in stuff. <laughs> um, I'm looking Commando. at... Commando. I'm looking at this list of people... And, oh, most of them don't even have photos. <laughs> I've made it. it, it, it you might have to employ the Stephen Dorff rule. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I'm sure if, if it's Radon Chong, you have to use and, you know, so be it. But I would draw your attention to one of the writers of his film, an Andrew Davis, man who directed Under Siege and The Fugitive. So, you know. Ooh. There's not like there's no way out of this. Okay, okay, okay. All right, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Uh, this is available for rent on the YouTube's, mm-hmm. on Google Play, and on Apple. So if you want to acquire it legally, that is how you do it. Oh, I could could follow um, the director um, Stephen Hager. Oh, no, the head writer Stephen Hager to High Times presents the twentieth Cannabis Cup. <laughs> okay, I mean, yeah, the world's biggest uh, party like... in Amsterdam. Amsterdam judging the world's top strains. Right. Um, That's actually a documentary. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 documentaries, if they count, who knows? Um, but anyway, this is an interesting. Interesting. Film. Okay. Okay. Well, we've got time for, for us to build up the courage to watch Beat Street. <laughs> Could it be worse than Booker Henry? I mean, really? I mean, it, it yeah, it's pretty, it was pretty bad. Like, this is the, it's a different, different era of film. Yes. That, that is an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> He's saying, that's not a good thing, he says. That's not a good thing. No, um, um, before we move on with all the other bizzo in the show, mm. I'm excited to hear what you made in the end of God of War because it is the big game of the season. It is, yeah. Um, God of War, ladies and gentlemen, the PS5 big release. There's the long-awaited sequel to God of War from PlayStation 4. Um, I've been talking a little bit about it on and off for the last couple of weeks because I've been slowly playing through a little bit more. And uh, I figured I'd give my final little review of it in light of the Game Awards results that came out last week, where it was nominated for Game of the Year, but it lost out to Elden Ring. 
Uh, did you play any Elden Ring? I did, yes. And um, myself and Patrick, um, a friend of the show, we did have a good conversation about this, and we both agreed that Elden Ring is the better game overall because it does more for video games and opening them up to the market compared to God of War, which, despite its beautiful graphics, despite its phenomenal storyline and really emotionally engaging story, it doesn't really do anything new or exciting with the game. It's very much your shake-and-bake PlayStation exclusive, frankly, where it's like, oh, we're going to have serious thematic uh, tones, very realistic graphics, beautiful score, all of this stuff, but it's going to be, yeah, we don't know how to do interesting action. We're just going to throw bad guys at you. Oh, yeah, we've got a boss. Okay, we're going to make it so fucking easy for you to be able to work out how to kill this boss, especially in a year where something like Elden Ring comes out, which is in all all descriptors, a Soulsborne game where it is that grind and grind and grind and the game will fight back and beat you and remind you that you are not good enough to play it. And yet, Elden Ring did something fantastic with its abilities. I've never, never really been a fan of those uh, Dark Souls, Demon Souls games, but I'm still interested because it had more of that RPG element. It had a bit more of that... If you go to an area that's too high level for you, go away and grind and build yourself up, learn the mechanics. And Elden Ring, in a weird twisted way, is almost like a rhythm game. Once you work out the rhythm and the cadence of a boss, if you can just keep moving and flowing with that same rhythm, you can work your way through them and beat them. There is a logic to it until a goat suddenly comes along from behind the camera and just kills you in one go and you sort of fuck. (laughs) Um, But there was a level of learn the enemy to Elden Ring, which is completely missing from God of War. I do kind of understand the reason why they've done that because you're playing the God of War. So you want to feel like a badass and just be able to mow through everyone, but it gets really fucking boring. Just, oh, yep, there's definitely going to be a swarm of enemies that are coming at me, and it's definitely going to be button mash because I don't need to do anything else, and it's boring, and there's no real sense of dread or threat. Um, It's the same problem in the Uncharted games where the story is interesting, and it's got that kind of Indiana Jones light comedy element to it, but every bad guy is just a bullet sponge and it's like, okay, this is a war of attrition and boredom while you hide behind a thing and then you wait to get a good shot. It's it's boring. Same as Last of Us. The action, the fight sequences, they're boring because that's not the point of those games realistically. They should just fucking get rid of them then. <laughs> so you're saying this is a little bit more... Um writing on reputation and yeah. style over substance, maybe? I would say so in many ways. The the, nar- uh, the narrative behind it, and it won Best Narrative Game at the Game Awards, justifiably as far as I've played so far. It's very good at eking out a good story. And for... Um, I can't remember the actor's name, Christopher something, who plays, who voices Kratos. 
he is fantastic and the the kid who plays atreus is really good he's just the right side of annoying but mildly charming as a as a sidekick um it's not riding on the skirt tails of better games it's just not it knows exactly what it wants to do and it does that and it's like okay we're an action game we kind of forgot that part in developing it let's just put a basic fight seat fight choreography sequence into this and make most of the interesting things just oh i now have to press the circle button or i have to move the analog stick diagonally up to do this because that looks cool they're forgetting that you can actually tell story through action and they should actually stop and take a look at all the Sony studios should stop and take a look at some of the more recent action movies that have come out where fight sequences have been a part of the storytelling. You can think of if you want to go very nuanced and stylized, you look at a movie like hero where they had those beautifully overly choreographed fight sequences of martial arts majesty but they were doing they were shot and filmed to tell and inform on the story and it makes sense as you're watching it you see oh it's from this person's point of view and you're we're revealing this information you it's possible to do they're just being lazy and not doing it which is a shame considering the amount of effort they're putting into how good it looks and how good the the actual story is but sadly the story is all in cutscenes it's everything else in between that is kind of boring. It's like, oh, okay. Oh, look, there's some runes there that are kind of vaguely pointing upwards. Yep, that's a wall i got to climb. Oh, look look at that. There's, yep, there's a glowing chest there that, strangely, no one has ever gone to look into. A glowing chest. No no one. Wow, okay. I, I, yep, I'll... I'll Get my way there. Yep. Oh, what a surprise. It's hack silver. Great. Rewarding. The actual. I'm hearing you're work. not really a big fan of this, from what I'm hearing here. This is not. I mean, all I'm hearing is amazing, amazing, amazing. But it sounds like you're not in love with this. I'm not. And this is the kind of thing that. This is what makes me actually a little bit more interested in the forthcoming Last of Us series. Because I didn't like the gameplay of The Last of Us, but I love the game. Uh, love the the story so i'm wondering if maybe they've gone so far sony have invested the last 10 years almost in making themselves very much the mature gamer console with things like the last of us uncharted horizon zero dawn god of war spider-man days gone all of these games that are so like they're all high profile games they don't really do the indie thing much anymore unless it's a bizarre little odd piece like straight. I kind of feel like ironic as it may seem, Sony have not been able to make a good movie in a long time. And PlayStation have been able to make great movies with annoying gameplay in them. They kind of need to swap production companies. (laughs) So I'm kind of now actually more interested. And I was wondering about last of us going, well, what's the point? They did. They told the story. But now I'm thinking back on it after playing God of War 
and it's going, you know what? The gameplay isn't actually that fun and it doesn't actually inform on the story, the gameplay. Yes, you are that character and it's it tries really hard to make you engage with it and take ownership of your character, your character's actions and things like that. But for me, it didn't work. So as a movie, I I wonder if I'm actually going to get more out of them. So I'm wondering if these movies and TV shows that they're developing for all of these projects are actually going to be the better option for these projects. Because I think God of War is an interesting one. Someone around here, I I don't remember who, made a prediction a couple of years ago about video game movies being the new superhero movies. Mm. Um, And so far, obviously, they've been incredibly close to the mark on that one. That one's a a great prediction. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Who could forget the success of Angry Birds? Mm. Um, And, you know, I think the Emoji movie counts as a video game movie. Um, (laughs) But if you you can't make... Look, I, I didn't like The Last of Us. I thought it was boring. Mm. Uh, I, maybe it's because the fact the gameplay was kind of lousy mm. for me. For me. Um, but it's, it's a really crap song about how good the story is. Story, story. Oh, my God, the story is so great. Mm. I will assume they're correct. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you can't take the video game with arguably one of the greatest stories in video game history and turn that into a successful film, you should stop trying. Mm. Mm. Or just quit making films um, because it's one of the more frustrating things that the video game films you see made is that the games have great stories. And then they get the film and they just change all the story. They forget the yeah. story from the game, take the characters in the setting and then make another story. I'm like, you know, like I, I don't get it. Yeah. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how that works. I'm fascinated to see what the Fallout TV show is like because yeah. there's a game – that I really like but the story's never really been the main attraction. The story's always been kind of shit, frankly. Yeah. Um, wouldn't it be ironic if if Fallout nailed the TV show yeah. and the last of us didn't? Yeah. Um, it would, it was so bizarre. But at the same time, it yes, for for long time listeners, it may sound like like we want we want to have our cake and eat it. We're saying, oh, why do they keep on taking these properties from video games and changing them for movies? And now, now George is saying, "Oh, they just just translate it to movies." I'm like, yeah, you're absolutely right because it's on a game by game basis. Something like God of War, which is heavily narrative driven, they do a good story. Just recreate it, get rid of the crap gameplay, and you've got a better product. Something like Super Mario, Super Mario Brothers movies coming out next year. The, two, the first trailer and the, the new trailer recently came out and it's looking pretty good, actually. But again, it's one of those ones which is aiming for a younger audience, for one thing. And Mario games, not exactly really ones that people play for the narrative. So there's a difference. There's, there, there, there is a difference between what, what the intent of the game is versus the intent of the movie. And you can kind of get away with it a little more when you're doing an animated fluff movie a la Minions or Angry Birds or something like that. Um, so what I'm basically saying is shut up, everyone. <laughs> shut up, crime. Shut up. <laughs> uh, I think it's time for our sponsor break. I did just want to quickly you- do my um, final thoughts on the peripheral season one. Oh, sure. Yeah, go for it. So season one has finished, and my prediction was right. 
Jonathan Nolan is clearly making um, projects that I am not smart enough for um, because it posits a lot of interesting things. They throw in some interesting characters and interesting developments, and but but he doesn't like answering questions. He just doesn't. And it's like, okay, I don't really care about coming back for a season two. You've... That people are doing great performances. You've introduced some interesting characters, and there's some int- some mildly interesting um, developments between characters happening. But I don't really care. Sorry. So it's disappointing. Started off great, and it just slowly got too up its own ass. Um, we rewatched Yellow Jackets this week because Michelle had never watched it. Mm-hmm. And I got um, the fit. I remember, remember we talked about it at the start of the year when I watched it. Mm. I liked it. Mm. But if we watched it again, I think that show has a serious case of uh, lost syndrome. Mm. Um, intriguing premise, mm. interesting story and characters, but they don't know where it goes from there. Mm. Do you think the peripheral suffers from something similar? I think so. I, I don't know because it's based on the William Gibson book or book series or whatever i don't know if they're more like asimov's um three rules books or anything like that where it's kind of short stories just popping in and out of the this kind of pseudo cyberpunky world or whatever. I, I don't i don't know but you've got so like this kind of time travel element in there you've got different factions happening it's like okay you've built an interesting world you've got some interesting lore that you can really go into please answer some of our questions so that we have more faith going forwards again you've got to reward you can't just always just keep on eh, 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 all the time eventually you just go nah fuck it i don't want any more carrot get stuffed <laughs> I, I think that the standout for me this year i come back to is severance Mm. I haven't seen the show stick the landing as hard as Seventh did mm. for a long time in the sense that it didn't answer all the questions. Mm. I don't know if you've had a look at it yet. I no, can't remember yeah. if you were yeah. interested. No. I definitely should put it on your list. It's very good. Um, but uh, it actually stuck the landing because, well, it didn't answer all the questions that the show had been a- um, asking. What it did do was go, here's what season two is going to be. Here is some resolution to season one. Mm. But the resolution of season one opens up new opportunities to explore in season two. Mm. So you walked away feeling satisfied. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think this whole idea that you can just uh, start with an intriguing premise, some A-grade actors and some nice special effects and keep going, ooh, isn't this mysterious for an entire season? And then go, at the end of a season one, go, who knows where it's going next? I don't know. You don't know. Um, it's getting tiring. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it's a bad habit that um, TV needs to kind of kick to the curb and have as just a one-off special treat from time to time. Story resolution. You know what it is to me? Remember the X-Files in the 90s? Mm. Like, that's what the X-Files did for about four seasons. They gave us four seasons of blue balls mm. of going, oh, mysterious shit. Are the aliens taking over the world? Is Mulder really crazy? Ah! And then you're like, after four seasons, you're like, you're never going to tell me, are you, Chris Carter? Nope. 
You don't know what's happening. Nope. You don't know what's happening next year. You've got no fucking clue what happens in this show one week to the next. Mm-hmm. I'm out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say X-Files wasn't great TV for while it was made, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's an early example, I think, of his bad, his sort of lazy TV, yeah. like where you just, can just keep making mysterious shit happen and asking questions, but never answering any of them. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, a, it's a simple simple thing. You always have to reward your audience for coming back. That's, that's the thing. No, it doesn't matter if you come out early on and say, oh, we've got a five-year plan for this. Cool. But you've got to fucking answer, answer some of the questions by the end of season one, and you've got to posit new ones to tantalize us into the next season so that we know, okay, yep, every season we are going to be rewarded by the end of it with answers to the questions that you are telling us to ask. I'm questioning whether I should go back to it now. <laughs> I don't think you should. I, feel, I don't think I feel like the answer is no. I feel like the answer is no. Yeah. Is it sponsor time? It's sponsor we get time. The sponsors it's up? sponsor time. Get the sponsor. Who is the sponsor of the week, my friend? Uh, sponsor this week is one and only Christmas. <laughs> Nebulous Christmas. Christmas. Yeah. We're not answering any questions on this show. We're here to ask mm-hmm. questions. You're there to answer them, or YouTube is. So.
of Christmas. Do you want candy from Santa, little boy? Terrible. Terrible. I, 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 any, anyone who just, anyone who trusts Santa is just a fool. There's nothing like holidays. Christmas, uh, spectacular for you folks um this is a taste of what you're next week i think we're having some audio problems there so i apologize to anyone who was watching and couldn't hear the commercials i don't know what's going on this week usually you can hear them mm. but fit uh is uh stuff technology not playing nicely with us today oh well that's unusual on this show because obviously we're usually masters of our domain and extraordinarily professional and nothing 100%. goes wrong. We're uh-huh. fully prepared. We are professionals. Eventually, I'm sorry. I couldn't keep a straight face doing that one. Um, <sighs> I want to talk about some good TV now. Yes. Tell me, what is your good TV? Uh, and we're going to go to Disney Plus' streaming service, which hmm. is apparently the most popular streaming service in the world now, I'm told. But um, I think Disney it's Plus is think... a, a streaming service that we have used multiple times on this show and not enjoyed much of their content. Indeed, I'm one of fine productions like She Hulk um, and uh, uh, Moon Knight. Um, and uh, no, they have some adult, it's interesting on they have some interesting adult content in their stars, I think it's called. Yeah, um, that's right. channel on there. So earlier in the year, if you're a regular listener or viewer, you might have heard me talk about the Pammy and Tommy series which I thought was pretty good. Uh, who could forget uh, Sebastian Stan's talking penis uh, in that series? And that's probably reason enough to watch it, if nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> um, but two new shows have popped up in the last few weeks uh, I want to cover quickly because I haven't finished yet. Mm. So a bit like um, the series we just talked about, the what was it called again? The prophylactic Um <laughs> Uh, the peripheral. Galactic. Um, <laughs> I put this on and I travel through time. <laughs> the uh, that that would be the series starring Sebastian Stan's talking penis. Um, the peripheral. Prophylactic. Um, Sounds like the peripheral. superhero. <laughs> I am the. I am Mr. Prophylactic. It should be somebody in Mystery Man potentially. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the peripheral um we were kind of fans of it early on but um mm. uh, when we got to the end obviously you just heard george tell us uh, it's kind of shit <laughs> and i didn't stick the landing so i want to give a heads up to start both these series are in flight maybe they won't stick the landing mm. but so far we'll talk about the first one is chippendales or i believe in the states it's called welcome to chippendales mm. for some reason been given a different name here um, this is an eight-episode mini-series starring Kamal Nanjiani. The origin story of Soman Steve Banerjee, an Indian-American entrepreneur who started the stripper troupe Chippendales. Mm. Um, and I, I am finding this series, 
explain a incredibly enjoyable but also fascinating because i knew absolutely nothing about this series uh i knew nothing about the story it's based on it's based on a book i think um but uh, which i never heard of i had no idea that the chippendales stripper troop had such an interesting um such an interesting origin story mm. so um as I said, Kamal Nanjiani is the real big name in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, he plays Soman Steve Banerjee. He is an Indian immigrant to the United States who works uh, for years at uh, a petrol station, saving like like 80 to 90% of his income over that time, initially with a view to opening his own petrol station or series of petrol stations as a business. Mm. Uh, he's left his family back home in India to do that. However, he um, idolizes um, high society in the United States. He idolizes people like Hugh Hefner mm. in society. You remember that, you remember that before Playboy kind of got this idea for being how sleazy? Um, <laughs> kind of back in the 70s. I mean, I don't know because I wasn't alive, but really, well, briefly. Um, but, you know, you kind of had this idea of, you know, being kind of classy men in smoking jackets sitting around playing, you know, mm-hmm. backgammon and talking to, you know, famous writers and stuff like that, that kind of era of, um, of uh, Hugh Hefner. So he looks up mm. to him and he decides rather when he actually saves enough money, he's not going to actually open a petrol station. He decides to open a club, but initially a backgammon club because he thinks that's classy. Mm. Um, all his initial business ideas are spectacular failures until he happens upon the idea of uh, opening a male strip club. So he's in a strip club where men are strippers as opposed to women. Mm. Um, and that is where he hits upon his big idea. Uh, and it turns out to be incredibly successful. Um, the, so the central conflict in the series comes from the conflict between uh, Stommen or Steve and his, uh, the man he hires is his choreographer, Nick DeNoyer. Mm. Nick is a former television choreographer who's won Emmys for his work and helps sort of really elevate uh, the initial Chippendales from being a bunch of schlubs with muscles mm. struggling to take their jeans off in front of uh, drunk women to more of a show that, you know, I mean, I don't know, you and I obviously aficionados when it comes to male strip reviews. Of course, it's, uh, of course. Yeah, it's, it's you know, that was initially. That was what our initial podcast was about. We were just talking about the best male strippers mm. going around, but it just didn't take off in the same way as the Stripping the strippers, if anyone wants to look into it. Ladies. <laughs> go back and go back in the archives for that one. Might be a bit hard to find. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, they take the, he actually put inputs real choreography uh, and, and sort of, you know, the, the art of dance into into what these strippers are doing and that kind of really elevates the show mm. and sort of takes them to another level of popularity whereas you know people were starting to get bored with their crap um yeah their crap dance moves before this mm. but these two do not get along they do not see eye to eye and it's the conflict between these two men and where and what they should do with this um this idea where it should go next um steve um steve is a real control freak who kind of resents having to listen to someone like Nick and Nick's a coked out weirdo who really doesn't care for, for Simon either. So it's, it's kind of one of those um, frenemy type relationships mm. where they're, they're great together, but they just can't stay together because they just don't get along. Mm. Um, 
it's really, really entertaining. Um, you can see that you've got the trailer running here. You go some crazy places later on in the series, I think, from, from what the trailer shows me. But it's a ridiculously entertaining true story. Kamal Nanjiani is a sensational actor. Mm-hmm. Like, I enjoy everything he is in. I even enjoyed him in The Eternals, which mm-hmm. is hard because The Eternals was boring as batshit. Um, he was far and away the most interesting character in that film. Mm-hmm. And they gave him virtually no screen time. And he got all jacked for that too. Yeah. Um, uh, and they just did nothing with him. Um, but he really owns his show. This is his show. Uh, mm-hmm. And he really occupies that role of, of Simon Banerjee and he's owning it. And the relationship between him and Nick is fascinating. Nick is played by Murray Bartlett, an actor I am not instantly familiar with. Um, apparently his more recent work has been in The White Lotus, which I believe is quite popular television program, which I haven't caught yet, but no, I hear it's quite good. Um, the only other names you'll sort of notice in here, Juliette Lewis mm-hmm. pops up as Denise, who is Nick's sort of friend, girlfriend. Nick's gay, so not really a girlfriend. She, um, but she's um, Denise. I like Juliet Lewis. So she's she's aging gracelessly mm-hmm. and loving it. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I mean, she's a great actor. Uh, and Anna Lee Ashton is a name, a name no one will probably know. But if like me, you look at that face and go, I know her from shit. Uh, again, if early in the year or was it last year, we talked about American Crime Story, the um, Bill Clinton one, the uh, yeah. where we um, anyway, she played Paula Jones. Okay. In, um, so it probably no one apparently no one watched that series, so it's probably just me who recognised that. Um, it's quite explicit. It's quite violent in parts. So if you're like, oh, it's on Disney Plus, I'll sit the kids down in front of it after Christmas dinner. <laughs> If it the fact it was about male strippers didn't give it away, but this isn't for kids. This is just your average, your weekly reminder that it's not for kids. Um, but uh, it's sort of you know, Studio 54 um, meets Showgirls, so it's um, okay. but not as crap a show. It, it's it's a lot of fun, really digging it. Um, the only downside I'd say is the most recent episode did that thing that Disney does sometimes where it goes. Oh, that's right. We have to put 21st century politics into this. Oh. Um, and it don't, they don't do it too badly, but they do drop a whole race element straight into the middle of the last episode. And you're like, oh, that came out of nowhere. Um, and it makes sense in the sense that he is a brown man in 1980s America. And no doubt they would have faced all sorts of racism mm. around the place. But... Um, it's just it just sort of came out of nowhere. Mm. Hasn't been, you know, like you're in four episodes in, and in the fourth episode they introduce this whole new story element or, you know, mm. uh, factor in the story. You're like, oh, well, we haven't talked about that before. That's not really, I mean, it's surely, surely it's real and that makes sense, but maybe you should have been dropping hints and then signposting that a little bit better. Sorry, Aunt Patrice has always just been off camera. It's not my fault you didn't see it. <laughs> exactly. So they're getting introducing new characters and um, the episode of The Simpsons, oh, hey, Roy. Um, <laughs> But anyway, I, I, that's a very minor complaint. It's it's highly um, highly entertaining, and uh, I, I strongly recommend it. I'm very much hoping they stick the landing on this. The fact that it's based on a real story and a book, and they're not looking to set up a season two, <laughs> that that um, bodes well for me. Good. Okay. Moving on, yeah. the other show 
Uh, Fleischman is in trouble. Is a new show also found on Disney Plus. It's a Hulu show in the states, I think. Mm-hmm. If you are one of our many legions of American friends, mm-hmm. um, so you, uh, this stars Jesse Eisenberg and Claire Danes mm-hmm. and uh, Lizzie Kaplan, Adam Brody, uh, with big names you'll mm-hmm. notice in this one. Uh, Toby Fleischman knew what to expect when he and his wife have almost fifteen years separated. Weekends and every other holiday with the kids. Some residual business, the occasional moment of tension in the co-parenting negotiations. So that's actually a really bad synopsis. Um, this is based on a book as well. Uh, I have a book somewhere. I will get around to reading it at some point. Um, essentially, this is uh, a show about divorce, about the male experience, or largely so far. Again, I am five episodes into uh, a series of, uh, I think it's nine, eight or nine episodes. Um, let me just check here. Yes, yeah, so, sir. Uh, eight episodes. I mean, five episodes in. So I'm again, fuck it up again. Yeah. What? Who's listening? listening? Somebody's listening. They're listening. Sorry. <laughs> Siri just decided to start listening. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. Just. That's another robot that we've got follow, listening to us. <sighs> uh, I, you know, in fairness, I would listen to us as well. <laughs> uh, um, uh, where was I talking about Fleischman's in trouble before? That completely threw me off. So this is written up based on a book. It's about a, so far, it's about the male experience of divorce, mm. of a divorce, uh, written by a female author. Mm-hmm. Um and that's really quite interesting uh, in that you don't see a whole lot of that. So the book is written by Taffy Brodesser Ackner. That's a hell of a name. Yeah. Um, I don't know how you get around with a name like Taffy. G'day. Uh, hi, I'm Bob. Oh, hi, I'm Taffy. Okay. Um, Taffy wrote the novel and she also wrote and created it for television most of it was written by her. So it's interesting that she wrote the book and also did um, the the adaptation to television. Mm. Um, so uh, Jesse Eisenberg is a doctor, uh, a liver specialist. His wife, and our ex-wife, is played by Claire Danes, who is a successful uh, theatre agent. Um, and they, at the start of the show, are divorced. Uh, it's... Claire Danes is a character. Rachel is sort of shown as being kind of flighty and cold. Uh, the central drama of the story is she drops the kids off at uh, Toby's uh, house for his uh, weekend visit uh, and never turns up to pick them up again. Okay. Um, now, initially, you might be thinking, this is doing a little bit Book of Henry. Is this yeah. going to turn from a quirky divorce drama into a uh, whodunit thriller? It is not. Uh, he finds out his wife isn't missing. She is actually in New York where the show is set. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's just not come to pick the kids up and not returning any of his calls and not returning his emails and not, not picking the kids up. Wow. Um, and he has to figure out sort of how to deal with his situation. Um, and, What's fascinating is his journey through the different emotions um, that he is experiencing as part of his uh, part of his part of his his divorce. Like, I mean, um, 
as someone who is divorced, though, I think it's really unfair to say I'm divorced. I was barely ever married. Um, <laughs> just, just a little bit married. Just a... Just a, just a um, married. Just a wife-a-fiend's marriage. It was seven, eight months. So, you know, that doesn't really count. And it was in Vegas. I should have just had it annulled. Um, <laughs> like, it's Brittany. But, you know, uh, I think it's a... You know, I was, uh, it's, it's a very common thing these days. But it, divorce is not one thing. Mm. A relationship ending is not one experience. It is a number of experiences over a period of time. In fact, I guess it's an experience that never really ends. Um, it's just sort of fades a little bit, if that mm. makes sense. Mm. I'm telling people stuff I already know. Um, but what's fascinating about him is that we see him go through the different stages of dealing with the end of his relationship. Um, it's almost like he expected to walk away from the relationship and that's it. It's done. You know, I don't have to deal with this anymore and I don't have to deal with the emotions or uh, the problems anymore. But they, they, uh, there's a great line from a, a character who is someone he's sleeping with um, uh, post the marriage who says, being divorced doesn't make you any less married, um, <laughs> which I found a really interesting, a really interesting line. Yeah. Um, and so we see him experiencing the freedom of, you know, uh, coming out of a long-term marriage and finding dating apps are a thing now mm. and sexual partners, especially in a big city like New York, are not difficult to find mm. um, for a, an attractive and, you know, a successful man like him. Um, but also, you know, finding out that his wife may potentially be seeing somebody else or seeing somebody he actually knows and sort of going through that process of dealing with the idea of your partner, you know, moving on from you. Mm. And this might sound, make it sound tedious or, or boring. It's really not. It's very entertainingly done. Uh, the story is actually narrated by Lizzie Kaplan. Okay. Lizzie Kaplan plays uh, Libby Epstein, who is Toby's childhood friend, mm. who he reconnects with after the end of his marriage because his wife didn't, he didn't, they didn't like, she didn't like his wife. Uh, so Lizzie and Adam are his friends from school. He reconnects with both of them. So Adam Brody plays Seth Morris. I'll get his actual character's name. That'd be better. <laughs> um, they didn't like uh, Rachel and Rachel didn't like them. So uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where your partner doesn't like your friends, but that's a rather awkward one to yeah. be. So, um, they reconnect. And now Lizzie uh, is sort of, um, as I said, uh, narrating his story at the same time as talking about her own. Mm -hmm. So it's, this is a really, really wonderful show. I think I've enjoyed this show probably as much as anything I can remember in the last six months or so. Um, if you're somebody who's been through a relationship breakdown, which is most people, mm -hmm. um, especially a long-term one, I think you're going to get a lot out of this. And it's not just um, male-centric going, oh, you know, women suck. You know, women, what do you do with them? Um, it's, it's fascinating that the author is sort of trying to imagine what the world looks like through the eyes of a, a divorced man. At the same time as I think kind of telling a little bit of her story through Lizzie Kaplan's character, mm. who is, you know, um, almost envious of the freedom that Toby has because she's passing her husband on the downside of a marriage herself. Mm. Um, again, not for children. Mm -hmm. Uh, in case you looked at this and thought, oh, a divorce drama. <laughs> keep the kids entertained. You're going to learn uh, later. <laughs> <laughs> Reality, huh? Uh, not for children. Uh, it is a TV, TV MA rating, whatever that means. But 
I wouldn't sit your kids in front of this. They're not going to like it. But mm. um, I'm really enjoying it. I think this is a really wonderful TV show. Okay. Cool. Very good. All right. Well, I am going to take us from the, from the sublime to the supernatural. I am going to talk Ooh. about Spirited, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. Not Spirited Away? No. Spirited. This is Spirited. This is the Apple TV, Will Ferrell, Ryan Reynolds, TV extravaganza. And it is um, essentially a, a musical retelling of the Chris Carroll story. And as you can see in the trailer, you've got the Ghost of Christmas Past, Christmas Present, and Christmas Yet to Come. Ryan Reynolds is the the one who is being haunted, as the trailer makes out here. But it has a couple of twists. So first and foremost is um, it's essentially um, there's a... A, a spiritual or a, a spirit based consortium of ghosts that work in the afterlife who try and every year they will redeem a soul one soul one year in one night they will spend a whole year mapping out their whole plan trying to find out the the kicker moment in a life or the few kicker moments to be able to convert someone to being a good person a la Ebenezer Scrooge. And that tale is all the time. And this one kind of does it slightly differently because it's not necessarily from the point of the Ebenezer Scrooge character, which is Ryan Reynolds' character. Uh, I'm just going to bring it up, bring up the listing now. Uh Spirited. Ryan plays Clint Ryan Briggs. Plays. Yeah, Clint Briggs. Yeah, and he is um in the uh, in the spirit sort of like the the Christmas past present future group considered an unredeemable, and there's only ever been one other unredeemable. He was redeemed, and through the course of the story, we find out that. Um, Will Ferrell's character, who plays someone just his name is present, was that unredeemable in the uh, in a previous uh, previous life. Um, and so Will Ferrell kind of bonds with this Clint because Will Ferrell is at a point where he, he should be taking retirement, and the retirement package for these guys is they get to live out their last years back on on earth living as a human and just enjoying it and hopefully being a good person for the however long they have left the story kind of puts a twist on it because clint is not entirely an asshole he is an asshole but at the same time he's also it's there's a lot of rationale to his character and it's got a, a touch of building Murray's Scrooged in there. That's what you want. Yes. It doesn't go far enough. It's a bit too saccharine sweet for its own good. And by the end, the reveal and revelations and twists that happen. Yes, there are twists in Christmas Carol based story. Um, it could have done something 
way more interesting with its uh, final kind of, but it decided to go the happy ending, which is very frustrating. Um, it would have been a far more interesting piece. The musical elements in it are fine, I guess. They're annoying. <laughs> um, they are and they'll get into you in the moment you'll start enjoying it Will Ferrell and um, Ryan Reynolds are both charming enjoyable actors overall but they're never given the opportunity to go fully off the reins um, and for Will Ferrell especially after the last few movies that he's been in it's not a bad thing to keep him on a bit of a leash Um but Ryan Reynolds does feel like he's kind of phoning this one in somewhat. Um, Octavia Spencer, again, much like his more recent work, a lot of it's felt phoned in. Yes, yes, he's he's a tired man. He's he needs 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 some, needs some time off, and he's taken some time off since filming this. Apparently, um, Octavia Spence is um, the main female um, performer in this, and she is charming but heavily underused. Um, then, um, the only other kind of work, uh, from someone else in it that I, um, am glad to hear is, uh, the voice of Tracy Morgan. He plays the voice of the ghost of yet to come. And so you never face and you only ever hear his voice when he's not haunting, when he's in the office, because basically he suffers from stage fright. And he can't talk when he's trying to hold someone. So he ends up just doing this, this ominous pointing. And it's actually kind of a funny quirk. And so like every time it's like, oh man, this year I, I want to say something. I want to, I want a catchphrase or something like that. It's like, you know what happens when you try and talk? Nothing. It's like, that's actually funny. <laughs> um, but beyond that, it's a very paint by numbers rom-com effectively with um with the musical element to it it's not the worst movie that i've seen but i have seen a lot of shit for this show (laughs) so we saw death machine yes so it's not that's not particularly saving saving grace and would you say it's it's the is it the kind of thing you would show to kids for example i don't know because there's some there's elements of it where it's like Comedy of it is very, very light, and there's um, uh, there's a song and dance routine. You can in the trailer, it's the last bit at the end. There's a body that kind of falls from the sky, and they're all in kind of Victorian era stuff. Uh, it's called uh, "Good Afternoon," and from the from the period of time, saying "Good Afternoon" to someone is the equivalent of saying "Fuck off, cunt." And it's this whole dance routine that Ryan Reynolds' character actually starts as a way of deflecting from him back onto Will Ferrell's character. And um, it's actually kind of a fun song. And But at the same time, it's like, mm, it, it, it's, it, this isn't as good as Muppet's Christmas Carol. And it's not as good as Scrooge. So if you want a family, fun movie that is a whole family about Christmas Carol Muppets Christmas Carol if you want something that's a bit more sardonic and I don't like Christmas 
you go Scrooge. There, there are just better movies out there that do everything this is trying to do, but do it better. This tries to do a bit too much in one movie, I think. Just for those who have children, Common Sense Media says 13+. plus. Ah, there you go. There you go. I think that's uh, probably fair. Yeah, I'd say so. Why not? But, I mean, I guess if you really, really like the actors involved or you really like... TV, if you've got Apple TV... It's something to watch. It's definitely something you just put in the background and you ignore it and kids can enjoy it as much as they want. There's almost certainly going to be an announcement coming out soon that there's going to be a stage play version of it because probably what it should have been. (laughs) But it's, you know, whatever. Uh, That's kind of all I have to say on Spirited. I think it's probably about what I expected. I mean, I, I don't know. If you look at this and go, oh, yeah, I want to watch that. No, it yeah. looks like crap. But it's kind of crap. I mean, very rarely does a Christmas film come out that's actually had some thought put into it. Exactly. It takes a lot of time and effort to actually put something in there that is going to be um, worthy. And it's like it's like Christmas music, ladies and gentlemen. Stop trying to make new Christmas songs. They just don't fucking work. Just stick to the originals. We know them. We ignore them. When you've got people like Lady Gaga, 13, 14 years ago, came out with a Christmas song that was just fucking awful. Just stop. When you've got these rich, pretty boys singing like the little drummer boy, like, "Mm, no, just don't. Just, Just don't. When... Cliff Richard's Christmas song is the best song on a Christmas soundtrack. <laughs> no, you've got fucking problems, ladies and gentlemen. But never mind. <clears throat> Moving on. <laughs> Rant over. Thank you for coming to our TED Talk. <laughs> Rant over about Christmas music for now. <laughs> you just wait until next week. Um, no, I want to finish up talking about another blast from the past turned into a TV show. Willow, ladies and gentlemen. Willow. This is... I couldn't believe that Michelle had never seen the original. You know what? How did this... I can kind of believe that because I've spoken to a lot of people that didn't know, really know anything about Willow, which is wow. considering who created Willow. It was like a love child of some of the... Uh, most legendary film creators of the of the eighties. This was kind of a steak knives in um, Disney's acquiring of uh, Lucasfilm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, for those who do not know, Willow is a fantasy um, TV series based on um, a, the one of the legendary movies from the eighties, also called Willow. And this has a lot of the reprising roles. You've got um, Warwick Davis coming back as the titular Willow. You have got, um, hang on, I'm going to bring up the proper cast list right now. Um, Uh, What's the Val Kilmer's ex-wife, Joanne Whaley. That's it. Yes, thank you. That was the name I was trying to get. Um, And they are paired up with, a host of fresh young talent 
um, that we have actually already seen quite a bit of on Disney-associated products. For example, Erin Kellyman was in um, Falcon and Winter Soldier. And she was in uh, Solo. Uh, yes, yes, she was. Um, and she was very annoying in both of those things. Yes, and she's kind of annoying in this one. Um, Tony Revelari, um, he is uh, he plays Flash Thompson in the new Spider-Man movies with Tom Holland. He's um, generally been annoying in all the things that he's in. And he's <laughs> less annoying than normal in this one. Um but this show um, follows on after the events of the movie where um, uh, Elora Dannon, the baby that is prophesied to save the world in the movie, has grown up. And um, there's a bit of a rift between um, Willow and the, the, worlds of, uh, the realms of man, shall we say, about what was supposed to happen. But I'll tell you something. The people that are creating this show give a fuck about the source material because they have managed to capture a lot of the the essence of the show. Particularly, um, we've got two people playing the kids, the twin kids. Um, there is Ruby Cruz, who plays Kit, and then her twin brother, Dempsey Burke, who plays Eric. They are the son and daughter of Matt Madigan, Val Kilmer's character from the first one. And they have very much used that, the unusual kind of character that Matt Madigan was in a fantasy movie of the time to set the theme and style of this show. Um, Because he was kind of like cavalier, almost surfer dude sort of thing when... He was kind of the... um... Han Solo Aragorn character. Yeah, but where Aragorn is very forthright and everything like that, um, Han Solo and Indiana Jones is sort of like, I'm going to f- accidentally fuck up my way through this sequence and actually be kind of good. And they've kind of used that as a launching point of, you know what, we're going to do fantasy movies and fantasy storytelling in a slightly different way. They don't always get it right but they're trying something different, which I definitely appreciate considering the amount of fantasy shows that we are getting at the moment. I'm looking at you rings of power and the wheel of time. And there's so many animated ones on Netflix. Like there's the dragon age animated one and stuff like that. It's nice to have something a little bit different in there. Production wise, it looks great. And as a bit of a fan of Conan the Barbarian and Solomon Cain um, books and movies that we've had. This kind of sits in amongst that kind of world a little bit. The world is a horrible, cruel, yucky place. And people wear badass armor, have stupid weapons that don't work in the real world, but are just cool. And so it's good to see them on the screen. And there's heart but also comedy and a little bit of brevity to everything about it that is incredibly refreshing. Its first two episodes were great. Um, I think we're up to episode four now um, of eight. Uh, Yes. Uh, 
episode five is coming out next week. So yeah, four episodes released so far. Um, and it's overall doing well. I would give this like a maybe seven and a half or eight out of ten. It's interesting. The IMDb rating is a five point three, yeah. and yours is the first positive thing I've heard said about it. Yeah. Um, there's a lot that's kind of going wrong, but the other thing that kind of just endears it to me a little bit is there was a Robin Hood TV series with Ray Winston that was awful growing up. It was awful. It was the lowest of low budget. They were literally filming in Sherwood Forest and it was like, oh, hey, we need swords. We need armor. No one's making any any good, so we'll just do the best with what we've got. This kind of has that homemade kind of feel to it. It has no Disney Plus is a giant multi billion dollar corporation. I know, but there's something. It's it's just it keeps on every now and then, just like just hopping across a line to go from well, it's moderately okay inoffensive stuff to this is bad but funny. And then it just hops back again. Every now and then, it just it's like, just a, a weird moments. There's no rhyme or reason to why they're doing it or when they're doing it, if they're doing it intentionally. It's just suddenly you're looking at it and going, this is like original Doctor Who cheese. Oh, and we're back. Uh, what, what? What was that? I don't know. What, 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 what was that? Why are you doing that? Okay. It, it's a bizarre quirk of the show that... And I'll say the worst thing for the show so far is Warwick Davis's acting. I've heard that said. The show actually, I've heard uh, some reviews that talk about how the younger cast is actually pretty decent mm. and an interesting addition to the the lore and the mythology. But mm-hmm. it's Warwick Davis who is actually kind of current holding this back. Yeah, because it's it's this delivery of some of his lines that. It sounds like he's literally reading them off a screen prompt. And it's it's not what you expect when you think of Warwick Davis. And I I don't know why or how they kind of looked at it as went, yep, that fits. That's perfect. It's it's odd. But I'm still invested, I'm still engaged. I like the sort of like I'm a I'm a sucker for fantasy. We'll happily admit that. Um, it's a shame. Apparently, they wanted to get Val Kilmer involved, but um, he's not well. He's not no, well. His his illness was very much uh, something that he was unable to do. But because it is all owned by Disney, they are able to bring in footage of the original movie. So we have these occasional little shots of Mad Madigan and. Um, uh, fuck! What was the evil queen's name in it? Uh, I really don't remember. It's a long time since I saw it. Badass motherfucker. Um, it's and they've they've got uh, someone in there who so like in the story was Mad Mardigan's so like servant or the Queen Bev Morda? Is that her? Bev Morda, yes. Um, played by Amir. Chandra Patel. Um, he plays Thraxus Borman. They're definitely using him as a 
bit of a surrogate for Val Kilmer's Mad Mudigan, but he's not as good of an actor as Val Kilmer. And so far, he's not really been given the opportunity to try and be his own character yet. Um, but they're, they're juggling a lot of balls right now. I think they may be trying to do a bit too much world building and introduction in the first season. Or I don't know if this is going to be a season. I don't know if it's a limited series. But... I think that if they do keep it going, they can drop Willow and just keep going because they're developing an interesting world. And that's that's it. But I'm enjoying it so far, which is good. Which is well, I'm glad you are. Plus. You're the one. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I will stand up for the weird person, the weird thing. Just do it because that's me. <laughs> you know, um, it's interesting that I remember when the film came out, it wasn't terribly successful, the original. No, it wasn't like a smash hit. It was kind of a one of those films that people have discovered on video years later. Yeah, it was a um, cult movie, like Kroll. Kroll's another weird one for the 80s. Yeah. I want to touch on... Have you got anything else you wanted to talk about before? I've got one more thing I thought we could touch on before we... Sure, we can uh, We can absolutely touch on other things. I realised that there were a couple of other things that I've watched this week, but I can talk about them next week. Um, uh, you just touched on it quickly. I really, maybe let's try and give us 10 minutes on this because yeah. you and I are going to go on about this. But you mentioned a name in that little rant about Willow. Oh, yeah. And that name was Indiana Jones. There was some Indiana Jones news last week. Oh, yeah. It's, um, and now I know the fans love it when we just shit on Disney. Um, <laughs> so let's do that. Um, <laughs> uh, Apparently, they are making, uh, look, I mean, a fourth Indiana Jones film. Yeah. I think it was a, fa- a fan film made in the 2000s, which some consider the fourth film. But, I mean, I'm not sure. I'm I, don't, I, I, I don't think, I, I certainly don't consider it canon because I don't think anyone does. Um, so, yeah, the fourth fourth movie coming out next year. Um. And we got a bit of a teaser. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We did. Um, which I, sorry, this is completely unannounced. I just dropped this on George's head, so he doesn't have the trailer ready to go. So uh, don't blame him. It's me for not being. Like it just popped into my head. Um, but uh, look, this is not something I think you and I have been looking forward to. Um, I think they're done. They should have maybe stopped at three. Mm. Um, though they were. I was curious to see what they were going to do. Um, and I was pretty sure, and I remain pretty sure, they're going to fuck it up because they fucked up Star Wars. They're busy fucking up Marvel. Um, you know, uh, there we go. why would this be any different? Yeah. And the indications so far are they're going to fuck it up. Yeah. And what am I basing it off? The title of this film, The Dial of Destiny. That sounds that like sounds a, a stupid. sequel to National Treasure. Yes, or something like, you know, one of those sequels you didn't know existed, <laughs> like S. Darko or American Psycho 2, you know. It actually um, sounds more like uh, like an unused title for an Indiana Jones video game. The thing is, there was an Indiana Jones video game in the 90s. Like it was the, an Atlantis-based one. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the exact... I, apparently, I, I didn't play, but... 
people rave about it to this day as having a great story. Um, and finding Atlantis is the kind of thing Indy would do, mm-hmm. right? That'd be cool. I don't know why, but obviously we don't know what this film's about yet. The rumors are it has a time travel element. The Dial of Destiny has made some people feel like that is more likely now than not. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks like it features Nazis again. Yep. We've got Mads Mikkelsen in uh, in Nazi mode, apparently. Now, Mads is a great villain. Mm-hmm. Um, it also features, you can see in the trailer here, but George is playing mm-hmm. Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Mm-hmm. And this scene. Yep. We're having a reverse of a famous indie gun versus sword scene yep. from from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I understood that reference. Yep. Don't really f- – I mean, it's, I haven't seen the final product yet. Okay, okay, I get it. But I don't like it. Mm. I don't like anything about this. There is nothing in this trailer that says – that builds excitement for me. Hmm. What are your impressions? My impressions are this is entirely unnecessary. That it is going to be a lot of um, serving the fans, like the fan service. Yeah, not to wink the audience. Suller is back. Um, the fact that there's a line in the trailer about uh, when the him and Phoebe Waller Bridges character are there. It's like, is this your daughter? Is it like um, my goddaughter or something like that? I think she's probably going to be um, what's his face? Um, oh God, uh, the the English professor in um, uh, yeah, right, yeah, Last Crusade, yeah. And so, like the the pen's mightier than the sword. You know, I think it's going to be his daughter or something like that, or. There's going to be a, some connection there. Apparently, they're using um, de-aging technology for some younger Indiana Jones staff. <sighs> I, I just, mm, I don't want this. I want them to it was, stop. I want to leave it alone. Yeah. Look, I'm not saying there aren't more stories that could be told mm. in this universe. Do you remember in the 90s, it was that Young Indiana Jones Chronicles TV mm. show? Mm. That was all right. Yeah. Um, th- that would have been an interesting idea. That would have been a bold choice by Disney. Yeah. To go out and cast a 20-year-old as a young Indiana Jones, you know, Tom coming Holland. up in the world. Sorry? Tom Holland. Tom, Tom's busy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Cody Smith McPhee. I don't care who, you know. But Austin fucking blubber. The guy can act his ass off. The guy was amazing in Elvis. Um <laughs> You know, he would make a great young indie, I think. You have every young actor in Hollywood lining up for it, sure. Yeah. And, you know, I'd be happy with giving that a go. I mean, I still don't think Disney would do it very well because they they haven't done anything particularly well in their Lucasfilm uh, efforts. Exactly. But, I mean, that might be at least open up the opportunity a little bit more for interesting ideas. And you could go back and you could deal with Nazis directly because – He's 19, he's 20, it's the 30s, you know. Yeah. The Nazis are a thing. Why are they fighting Nazis again? Yeah. Um, the one thing I'll say about the fan film from 2008 is, well, twofold. One, uh, we brought back, uh, what's her name from the first film? Um, Marion um, Ravenwood. Marion Raven. I would just like to that was- stop and just look at this moment 
Why have they got the Millennium Falcon in? And no, but I'm thinking the same thing. It's obviously a bomber of some description, but, but it's, <laughs> it's going through a tear in time. They're doing the Kessel Run. Obviously. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> this is how he gets it. He just jumps into another franchise. That's how he makes the distance shorter. That's why he did it in twelve parsecs or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and they they tried a new villain in Crystal Skull. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Soviets. I guess they're not Nazis. They're not quite as menacing, and it was cool. But look, they made fucking how many Bond films where the Soviets were the bad guys? Mm-hmm. You know, Soviets make fine bad guys. Yeah. And I mean, they wasted Kate Blanchett in that mm-hmm. film. Um, and of course, the idea to pick him to uh, cast Shia LaBeouf as um, as we all thought was just going to be you know him handing the hat yeah. to to his mutt. Uh, obviously, that didn't really work out no. for Shia for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there were interesting ideas at play in that film, but obviously, the the execution was poor yeah. to say the least. Yeah. Um, I yeah, it's just. Uh, apparently, I've seen stories kicking around that like Harrison Ford's come out and said he's not handing the torch over in this film. Yeah, he's so very, what the fuck is it? Bluntly, kind of said, "Oh, I am Indiana Jones." It's like, no. Let's let's put it this way: you were Indiana Jones, then you stopped caring about acting, and Indiana Jones died. That's okay. He's he's eighty. Yeah, Harrison Ford. Now, I'm look. Maybe it'll be great. Maybe it'll be great, but you know, I, <laughs> I really don't hold out a great deal of hope about that. Yeah. Um, I don't see how it could be. <laughs> he looked old and 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 frailish in Crystal Skull, and that was fourteen years ago. It looked ridiculous him doing action scenes fourteen years ago. How is it going to look now? Mm-hmm. His special effects can't change that. Mm-hmm. Um, no, um, Phoebe Waller Bridge might be the greatest screenwriter who's yeah she wrote this as well or co-wrote this mm-hmm. um he might be able to go to screenwriter known to man but i don't see how that makes a difference here and just that the dial of destiny who the fuck is disney for yeah that sounds cool alliteration sells man it sucks yeah temple of doom raiders of the lost ark the last crusade none of those were alliteration i'm uh, look, I know this is a Gen X uh, rant here because we grew up on this film, but oh. and you know James Mangold is a fine filmmaker. Man, mm-hmm. he's directing this. Of course, he made Logan. Yes, yeah, and Free Tender Yuma. Yep, and Ford versus Ferrari mm-hmm. and Walk the Line. The guy can seriously knows what he's doing. Yeah. but he's not a miracle worker. I do like the fact that they have got new director in to do this because Steven Spielberg is. Just off the reservation, doing doing self-referential movies now, um, and it's like okay, I'm just going to ignore you, Stephen. You go over to the the, the filmmakers' home for old people, please. Um, I I don't I don't get why. No, I get, I get why they keep on bringing these franchises in because it's guaranteed money coming in, et cetera, et cetera. But everyone bullshits the money anyway. The story's coming out about Black Adam, whether it's going to be profitable or not. It's not going to be profitable. Sorry, Rock, you've had a flop. Just accept it. Everyone will get one eventually. Um, 
just try something different. Please. Something new, something different. All right, don't, don't hold your breath. No. Um, well, I mean, also, just in closing, I'd like to point out that James Mangold also directed one of our chain movies this year. Mm. And that was, of course, the, the wonderful Kate Leopold. So all one can hope, the only hope that Indy 5 has is the inclusion of a young, plucky advertising executive at some point in the plot. <gasps> Could Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character be a-, be a plucky advertising executive in the 30s? I don't know. Uh, wow. Um, and, of course, that had a time travel plot, so you know he can handle a time travel oh, element. Uh, see, that was just his, his test run for Time of Destiny. Everybody oh, thought, I oh, know, his, his work on Logan, his work on Ford versus Ferrari, we're going to miss Joe. Kate and Leopold, folks. Kate and Leopold. They looked at Kate and Leopold and said, can he handle a plucky young advertising executive? Can he do time travel? The answer is yes. You've got the job. Can he handle a young Harrison Ford? Because everyone knows that Hugh Jackman was the heir apparent for Harrison Ford with X-Men and with, um, what was the other thing that he was in? Oh, he tried to do Van Helsing. Yeah. Everyone thought, oh, is he going to be the, the, the new Harrison Ford? <laughs> I don't think Harrison Ford did anywhere near as many musicals as Hugh does. Um, I would love to have seen Harrison Ford in The Greatest Showman. <laughs> Just sort of something like... I don't know any of the songs from that show. Sorry. I neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen it, but I don't remember any of the songs. I'm those sorry. things out. Uh, anyway, that's 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 ten minutes or thirteen minutes on Dial of Destiny. It do- looks like it sucks. It's gonna suck, but we're gonna see it anyway. So we are suckers. Yep, we are suckers. We are schmucks. Ah, uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the end of this week's show. Episode one hundred and sixty-seven is in the bag. We are done. We talked about the Book of Henry, our chain movie of the week. We have postponed our chain. For a, for a moment to do the Christmas specials of Eyes Wide Shut and Invasion USA. Travis talked about Chippendales and Fleischman is in Trouble on Disney+. Plus. I had a bit of a roundup of God of War and my thoughts on that. Uh, the Peripheral then finished up with Spirited Away and Willow. And then, of course, we had our little conversation about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. <sighs> what a show next week it's been busy it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting one we've got eyes wide shut and invasion usa i will be talking about two netflix movies one troll two guillermo del toro's pinocchio also a christmas movie also a christmas so, movie uh... and a musical i think so wear your festive hats, people, when you're watching like me. Mm-hmm. My headphones are falling off, but <laughs> I can jiggle with the best of them. Um, <laughs> jiggling. <laughs> uh, this is this is a $5 purchase that is relevant for two weeks of a year. Thank you, people. <laughs> I know how to manage my money very well. Um, thanks to anyone who's decided to watch the live stream at some point. Thank you, bro. If you've downloaded the podcast, thank you. Sorry about the gaps of silence. We had some 
audio troubles, mm-hmm. but you know, you'll forgive us because if you listen to the show, you know what we're about. Exactly, exactly. But thank you very much. As Travis said, you can watch us, rewatch us on twitch.tv slash the bright brain. You can go to youtube.com slash armchair producers. Facebook.com slash um, Fry Brain Productions. You can listen to us on all good podcasting services, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts as well, I think now. Um, and don't forget, you can support us by going to twitch.tv slash The Fry Brain and subscribing. That really helps us with uh, getting out to more people. Leave reviews. And if you have any recommendations on things that you think we should watch, then let us know. We want to hear them. We want to watch them because it's hard trying to find good movies to watch. There aren't you out it. there at the moment. Oh, God. The amount of movies I could talk about in this show, but I don't because I gave up after 40 minutes of watching it. It's disturbing. <laughs> oh, the other um, uh, nomination for Christmas movie that is not a Christmas movie, The Adams Family. It opens with them singing Christmas carols. It qualifies as a Christmas movie. Yeah, we could have gone with Batman Returns, but I wouldn't do that to you. Those are easy pickings. All right. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Good night. Good night.